0: Jennifer Clare is a culinary instructor and the founder of Home Cooking New York, a cooking school in New York City. She's a former food editor at Martha Stewart Living and the former recipes editor at the Wall Street Journal. And she's joining me today to talk about this really terrific, really concise, loaded with photos book called Six Basic Cooking Techniques, Culinary Essentials for the Home Cook. Hey, Jennifer, welcome to Amy's Table.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, you know, I, I love this book so much. It's funny, you know, I've been a cooking instructor for many, many years, and in classes sometimes people will be like, wait, how much did you add? Yeah. What should I do next? <laughs> and and I, I always try and, you know, say to people, well, don't, you know, you could change it a little bit. This is a starting point. And you really are offering up such strong bones of a, you know, good cooking yeah. experience. What what made you take this direction?
1: Well, before I got into teaching, which I have been doing for about 15 years, I was in the food editorial world for about six or seven years. So I was not doing any teaching. I was writing. And then after I got into teaching and started the school and started interacting with home cooks, I started realizing that. So much of you know what I was doing, you know, speak the spoken word would be end up making a very good book. I had written books before when I was working at Martha Stewart. One of the jobs I had done was writing some of the compilation cookbooks that she puts out, and I realized that um, you know teaching is the same thing as writing, except you get this feedback back. And um, so after listening to the, all the questions that that students had asked over fifteen years, I knew that there was a cookbook here because. I mean you know the cookbook market is very saturated so yeah. I really was not inspired to write a cookbook for so long because I didn't feel like there was any hole in the uh, you know the cookbook you know, shelves, there was nothing that was missing. But what I realized after teaching all these home cooks who were coming to my classrooms and always announcing that they didn't know how to do anything or always asking the same number of questions over and over again, and not the same students asking the same questions. Different students, different walks of life, different ages, different genders, they all have the same common misconceptions. And so I thought, you know, what's really missing is a book for beginners that uses their voice, you know, and asks the questions that they have as opposed to assuming... You know, that beginners want a 300-page book that's dense with text. You know, no one's going to sit down and read that. It's a good reference guy, but it doesn't teach you how to cook.
0: Agreed. And this is really, really approachable. I mean, as I thumb through it. And, you know, it's funny. You say beginners, and I almost introduced you by saying, I want to get a copy for both of my kids. But then you yeah. know what? Here's the thing, though. I mean, I'm reading this asparagus with orange smoked paprika vinaigrette. Uh-huh. I think there's a few people who've taken a turn or two around the kitchen that would love to make that, you know, <laughs> yeah, so I think we don't want to completely pigeonhole it as a as a starter cookbook, but it's such. Great base information. I mean, yeah. roasting... No, I think
1: you're right about that because I definitely wrote it for beginners in mind because that's usually who we're getting in the classrooms. But the thing is, for people who are, like you said, you know, have been around the kitchen a couple of times, many people who learn how to cook and have been cooking for years and years and years and feel comfortable in the kitchen maybe missed some of these sort of basic culinary techniques. Um, so they know how to cook a steak, but maybe they didn't quite know about how to take its temperature properly or they didn't know about, you know different pan sauces that you can make with it. So there is always something, no matter where you are in cooking, that can be refined or that can be improved upon. Um, So I do think it is not just for beginners. I agree with
0: that. Yeah. So I've just opened, excuse me, to a page that says students ask. And they are questions that I, too, have heard before. And you give such great answers. So, for example, here's the first one. What kind of wine should I use for cooking?
1: Yes, that is asked literally at every class. And any time I pull out a bottle of wine to make, you know, some dish, a putin sauce or a pan sauce, um, people always say, you know, what can I use for cooking? And so my answer is basically any, it is the Julia Child answer. If you if you will drink it, you should cook with it. Meaning, you know, it doesn't matter the, the price of the wine. What matters is that it's actually wine that you would drink, meaning nothing from the supermarket labeled red cooking wine, exactly. white cooking wine. Exactly.
0: Exactly. (laughs) And you know, I have a funny little personal anecdote to add to that. I was given a bottle of wine that actually I think may have been corked, but I didn't know that at that stage of my cooking life. And Uh it didn't taste very good, but I didn't want to throw it away. So you know what I did? I turned it into a red wine reduction. So you know what I did (laughs) was I took something nasty and I made it super, super nasty (laughs) And I put it all over this gorgeous beef tenderloin. And as I'm eating it, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I am learning a lesson right now. A very
1: expensive, (laughs) depressing lesson. Yes,
0: very much so. Very much so.
1: One of the tips I actually give for that, because what really makes people not want to use wine in cooking is not so much the wine itself, but the idea of opening up a whole bottle just to use a half a cup. Maybe you're not the kind of person who drinks of a glass of wine at every meal, so it seems like a waste. So I try to encourage people to have, as part of their pantry items, is one of those little four-packs of airline-sized bottles of red or white wine. Sometimes you can buy them at the at the liquor store yeah that's a great
0: idea Kendall
1: Jackson Pinot Grigio and it's about three quarters of a cup you don't feel bad about wasting it you're opening it up it sits on your shelf till you need it
0: That is a great idea. That puts new meaning in convenience foods because that's true. And same thing with some of the alcohols that could really be great. You know, you could get a little travel size of brandy or vermouth or something you're not drinking. That's a great idea. Well, the other thing that's on this page that I happen to open to is some of the best looking pieces of chicken ever with golden crispy skin and skin is something so many people have gotten rid of unfortunately skin and bones and i've gone back to the bone in skin on chicken and what a difference but how do you achieve what technique is it that achieves that really gorgeous crispy skin
1: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the banes of my existence and like my little soapbox that I have as a cooking teacher is please, please don't use boneless, skinless chicken breast. If you only like chicken breast, that's fine, but please cook it on the bone with the skin. You can remove both those things, but the quality of the meat when you cook it with the skin and the bone, which protects it and adds moisture and adds flavor, is incomparable to just cooking a naked breast. So So true. Yeah. So to get that skin, which I hope that everybody's going to eat and not throw away and think that it's... Bad for them because it's not. That is good for your soul, that, that chicken skin, that crispy chicken <laughs> skin. <laughs> but the key to it is a couple things. One is you want to make sure that you have a very hot pan because when you put meat into a pan, usually that meat is from the fridge, so it's very cold and it will drop the temperature of the pan pretty quickly. You want to make sure that meat is dry, again, so it starts browning in the pan as opposed to steaming. Um, And the third thing is making sure there's a good amount of salt on there because that's going to create not only a nice dehydrated crust but a a really flavorful one. So the key with with anything with chicken skin is to put it skin side down for a really much longer than you would imagine cooking, you know, a piece of meat side down, skin side down, which is usually a minimum of about like six to eight minutes. And the rule of thumb is that if you, you go to turn it over and it sticks to the bottom of the pan, like it's not giving, just let it sit. Because right. if, you, if you try to rip it off the bottom of the pan, you will tear that skin and usually leave it stuck to the bottom of the pan. Where you want it is still on top of your chicken.
0: And you know what? So that's, guess, that's that's yeah. one of those things, connect with the food, because it will let you know when it's ready to go. <laughs> that,
1: yes, that's such a good way of putting it. it. It will tell you when it's done. Exactly. So you can get that skin. You don't need to do it in a restaurant, but you really just need to be attentive to the fact that skin can get to be that color and that dryness. Uh, If you just give it the right amount of time.
0: And, oh, my God, if you haven't had chicken skin or chicken cooked on the bone in a long time, I'm going to tell you, you'll hear angels sing when you take a bite. (laughs) If (laughs) if you're just joining us. We're talking with Jennifer Clare about her fantastic book, Six Basic Cooking Techniques, Culinary Essentials for the Home Cook. And, you know, back on this same page, here's what's great. I haven't even had to flip for another page for this chat. But Uh you talk (laughs) about um, flavorful liquids equal delicious sauces. And here's what I like. It's, again, a technique. And you tell how to do it for pork chops or tenderloin, for chicken or turkey, or for steak. But Mm -hmm. pan sauces, do you think a lot of people think, sauce starts in a separate pan with a whole nother i mean a little finishing sauce from the pan is just divine
1: right well and it's like it's what i try to remind home cooks is that that pan sauce is not like it is not extra work it's part of the same dish so if you're going to brown chicken or brown steak in a pan and you take that meat out there's always going to be something left over in the pan that caramelized crust which is called fond my favorite word That is part of the chicken. So to put, like, dish soap in that and let it soak and kind of, like, you know, roll your eyes because, you know, you have to scrub that pan, you sort of haven't completed the chicken cooking. Right. So you need to get that off the bottom of the pan, which belongs on the chicken. So at the very least, putting something liquid into the pan so you can dissolve that crust on the bottom and pour it back over the chicken. I hate to say this, but at the very least, you can put at least water in there. Right. You just want to be able to get that glaze off the bottom. So, you know, water is not the best option, but at least everybody has it. So that's why I have that little chart about flavorful liquids make flavorful pan sauces. If you can, you're going to want to put a little wine in there, maybe about a quarter cup or a third of a cup, or you want to put a little bit of broth, chicken broth. Chicken broth is usually what I recommend for most cooking. Um, commercial beef broth is pretty... It's not a good quality, right?
0: Product. And pretty salty, and ugh. yeah, yeah.
1: So a little bit of chicken broth, some herbs if you've got them, or not if you don't. But at the very least, just finding something you know that would be good, reduced in a flavorful way, and then things like even with chicken, but mostly with pork, something like an apple cider would
0: be kind of nice. Mm, yeah, that would be that great.
1: Nice, yeah, sweetness on there, but yeah, pan sauce it can be so easy, but it, it is it is part of finishing your dish as opposed to a secondary sauce. Yeah, you know.
0: Well, and and then I, I love that make- you just are really addressing all the things that we all should, let's say it, be eating on a daily basis: roasted yeah. vegetables, blanched green vegetables, leafy greens. Leafy greens can sometimes throw people for a loop, can't they? A little bit yeah. harder to cook than they expect. Give us a top level ideas for how to improve, how with the technique behind that.
1: Well, it's funny that you say that because one of the reasons I chose the last three techniques to be vegetables is because you're right. I want people to eat more vegetables that they enjoy because if you are cooking the vegetables the same way, like I'm always – you know, some people only steam vegetables or they only saute them. So it's nice to understand that there are many ways of cooking vegetables so that they're at their best. Leafy greens tend to, I would say, intimidate some home cooks because of their sheer volume. When you buy them in the supermarket, sometimes <laughs> those are like a giant bunch of flowers. Yeah. So it's like, what do I do with this? It's so big. It seems unwieldy. And so what I try to do is teach people that all leafy greens, no matter whether it's the most tender and it's spinach or it's the biggest and the toughest, like collard greens, the methodology for cooking it is the same. A lot of what I show is just how to prepare it so you can buy any leafy green in the supermarket or farmer's market and know that you know how to cook it. You don't need a a particular recipe for cooking beet greens because if you know how to cook greens, it doesn't matter where they came from.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah, but greens are definitely, they are pretty low on the forward flavors. So you really do need to make sure that you introduce lots of seasonings to them. Um, And then the the triptych of flavor that I try to encourage all cooks to season for is salt, fat, and acid. If you're eating something and it's missing one of those components, either a fat, which is normally part of cooking, salt, and then acid. Acid is a really important flavor that many people forget is a seasoning tool. People always know about salt. If you, if you taste something and you don't think it tastes good, you always reach for that salt. Mm-hmm. But it's important to remember that a little bit of brightness from like a squeeze of lemon juice or lime juice or a little drizzle of red wine vinegar, that really perks up flavors and makes the whole dish sing. and that's very true with leafy greens. Leafy greens almost always without exception, need a little bit of a brightness to it. And that could be tomatoes. I mean, it doesn't have to be an acid, you know, sort of a, a classic acid. It can be an acidic food, like olives and capers and tomatoes.
0: Yeah, but I love that because now anybody listening knows that when they're cooking their greens, they need to add fat, acid, and salt. Mm-hmm. You How know? easy is that? Yeah, and, and so you choose which one. And I also <laughs> love that you talk about healthy fats. And, and you know, it it is important that butter is a beautiful thing, just not a stick of it. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> olive oil is exactly everything in moderation. Well, I'll tell you, this is a great book to grab. If you know somebody just entering into their stage of life where they're cooking for themselves and others, it's a great refresher or even to open your eyes on something you may not have thought about. It's called six basic cooking techniques, culinary essentials for the home cook by Jennifer Clare. And Jennifer, this has just been so informative and inspiring. Where can we find more information about you, your school and what's coming next? Next for you.
1: Great. Well, we have a website. The school's in New York City. Uh, it's homecookingny.com is our website. And on the homepage are the, the next consecutive 16 classes that we're always offering at the school. But we have about 40 different classes. This class, Six Basic Cooking Techniques, is a class we teach at the school. The reason I wrote a, our first book based on it is because I've taught this personally about 400 times. And it is it is such a, It's a class that we can offer at least four or five times a month, and it fills. It's a popular topic for new cooks. Um, and so we'll make more of these sort of styles of cooking class in a book style books um, based on our most popular classes. So this one was the first one that I Oh, we
0: good. With. I can't wait. I hope you'll alert me when more come out because I think it's I fantastic. <laughs> I bet you have a good uh, number of tourists coming to take the classes too, right? We do. It's lovely, yeah,
1: because to have people coming, especially from other countries, because they always are giving us great stories about what they have access to or what's a typical, you know, cooking technique for them that we do, we do love having. Being in New York City, we do have a, a lovely swath of people from every walk of life and every country in the world. So it's
0: a Fantastic, great- yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll look for more books to come out. And Jennifer Clare, thanks so much for joining us today on Amy's Table. Thank you so much for having me. Stick around for another helping from Amy's Table on Q102. Q! It's Amy's Table with Amy Tolman. Yeah! Q102!